Hi, and welcome to Reasoning Through the Bible. My name's Glenn, and I'm here with Steve. And today we're going to do something a little different than our normal verse-by-verse Bible study is today's question and answer day. And uh, this is a very straightforward one, at least to me. Uh, What makes me worth saving? And I think this is a context of Jesus and salvation, right? We, We talked about how Jesus saves us. So, Steve, what makes you and me worth saving? What would be our answer to that question? <laughs> well, you know, uh, there, there's, there's nothing, I guess, when you get down to it in regards to what, what we have. God doesn't need us. Uh, we were created by God, right? And uh, so it's, it's based off of what, what God determines whether or not we're worth saving or not. And to, to me, uh, theology to the rescue because it, this is why one of the reasons we study theology is because it tells us things like how, the nature of God and the nature of mankind and how we relate to God and how we are separated from and get reconciled again to God. That, that's all part of theology. And theology to the rescue, when the question here says, what makes me worth saving? And the short answer is nothing. There is nothing that makes you worth saving. There is nothing in humans that make us worth saving. Not, not anything. Not one good thing. In fact, we're very unloving at times, especially when we can compare ourselves to a holy and pure God. The only reason we can even ask a question like this is because we're comparing ourselves to each other. We're comparing ourselves to the neighbor or the person down the street, and we're saying, okay, well, that person may be better, or I'm not as bad as that person. And what the Scripture actually teaches, again, when you start talking about salvation, which is the question, we have to look at what God's viewpoint is. And because we compare ourselves to the people around us, we don't really have an accurate view of sin, and we don't have an accurate view of holiness. God is holy and pure, and we're not. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. And it says in the, in the New Testament, I believe it's the Apostle Paul, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Dwells no good thing, he says in Romans 7. And so there is nothing in us. He answers the question directly, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And so that then begs the question, hence then salvation, question mark. Right. Well, the good news is, well, I'll start, I guess, reiterate the bad news. The bad news is there's nothing in us worth saving. The good news is there is something in God that makes him want to save us anyway. Right. That's the good news. The good news is, is that God is entirely loving. He's, he's, uh, he is love. When it says God is love, uh, he's, he's not made of parts, and he is thoroughly, entirely loving, and he is all-loving. Uh, omnibenevolent is the word that the theologians use. And so when he is all-loving, that means he provides a way to reach out to a very unlovable people and save us anyway. Yeah, now when we look back to the very beginning, the very original when, when mankind was created with Adam and Eve, God uh, walked with them yes. on, on a daily basis and had conversation with them and, and talked to them. Uh, we're told that uh, God called Abraham a friend 
and things like that. So we see that there's interaction with God with mankind, but as far as being able to have a relationship on our own, as you pointed out, there's nothing in our own righteousness, what we would determine would be right standing in front of God. We don't, we can't have that. It's got to come from God. And, it, and I am thankful though, that God's given us a way to be able to do that and to be able to have a relationship yes. with him through Jesus Christ. Right. Right. So what makes me worth saving? Nothing. The good news is, is that there's something in God that makes him very loving and wants to save us anyways. And so I think, I hope that answers that question. Uh, and next question, Steve, and I've heard this a lot from different people over the years. Will I be able to see my family or my pets in heaven? Yeah. And uh, in some cases, the, the gives us a smile. But in a lot of cases, it's very real. I mean, I've, I've lost people close to me. I know you have too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And people that we love very dearly and very deeply. And when they die, it's a very... Very, uh, very emotional, and there's this great sense of loss there. In some cases, people never really recover from that sense of loss, and they want to be around that loved one. And same thing with, with pets sometimes. And so from a theological standpoint, do we have an answer to a question like this? Well, there, we have some indications. I don't know if we have some, some uh, you know, real solid things, but we have plenty of indications that talk about it. We're, and I think you've got some of those that are up there. But, uh, you know, we, we have things uh, like with David, whenever he lost his, his uh, child, his son, he got up and he said, I will, uh, he not come to me again, but I will go to him. And so we have an indication like that, that he's going to know who his child is uh, after David passes on, he's going to see him again and recognize him. But there's some other places that are also give us some indications, right? There, there are some indications, and I, I don't know of a verse that specifically answers the question, but there's some very strong indications here. And so I'll, I'll give what I, th I think is, a, is an immediate answer, and then I'll give a, a, a more larger, overarching, kind of a more, more accurate answer. And one is that the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, God will wipe away every tear, and there'll be no uh, longing desires that aren't filled. And so the short answer is that the state of heaven is going to be a state of bliss, and there will be no longing, there'll be no missing there. And so I can tell, I can tell people confidently, if you get to heaven and you still want your pet or your loved one, they'll be there for you. Because it tells us he's going to wipe away every tear, and there's going to be uh, no unfulfilled desire. Now, I want to say one caveat to that is, that's if your loved one was a believer in Jesus Christ. If they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, they're not going to be there. Uh, if you are, they're going, to, they're going to be in hell and so, no, at that point in time, you're not going to see him. So there is that particular caveat. Right. Now, I've, I've been at, at funerals, you know, more than four, yeah. uh, funerals where there's some scoundrel sitting there in a casket that was as far away from the Lord as you could get. And somebody in a suit stands up behind a pulpit and says, oh, they're in heaven now, when they're not. I mean, this is not me. Right. This is the scripture saying, I mean, right there in red and white in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. No one gets to the Father but by me. Now, I didn't make that up. 
Right. So if you don't like that, don't blame me because I didn't write it. <laughs> right. And it's not my doctrine and it's not my theology. I'm just trying to tell you what the scripture says. And Jesus said the only way to get to heaven is through him. And so people that have faith in him, you, you have a chance <laughs> of seeing them. But right. people that don't have faith in him, then, uh, then you don't, you won't. So just before you finish your thought, so the first step to being able to see your loved ones in heaven is to share the gospel with them. Tell them about Jesus Christ and how they can have a relationship and how they can have a saving faith and have eternal life and, and so that they can come to belief and then you'll know that they will be in heaven along with you. So that's kind of the first step that you'd want to do. And go ahead and finish with your thoughts. Now, uh, with that, uh, about the pets. Yeah. Okay. Now, again, right there in red and white, it requires repentance and faith in Christ. Right. And I've, I've told this story once or twice before, but I had this old Labrador dog <laughs> that, that, that was a great dog, yeah. but he will not be in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason he will not be in heaven is because he's an unrepentant murderer. <laughs> by that, he, he broke the law by uh, jumping the fence and eating the neighbor's rabbit. Uh, he, he, he knew he wasn't supposed to, and he did it anyway, and he didn't care because that's what dogs do. Is, and and here's, here's the catch. He never repented. He never repented. He wasn't really... It, he wasn't sorry that he ate the neighbor's rabbit. He was Matter proud. He was proud. He, he was kind of <laughs> proud of it. Now, he was sorry I caught him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he wasn't sorry that he ate the rabbit. And given another chance, he'd go back and do the same thing again. Yeah. So there's no, I mean, I, I say this as kind of a joke, but in a sense, it's, there's a theological principle here of the only people get to heaven are repentant sinners, okay, that realize they're sinners and repent of it and put their total trust in Jesus Christ. Those are the people that get to go to heaven. Now, there's, there's a, another principle that's really kind of an overarching one that really sort of makes most of what I just said moot. So, but the short answer for those that are grieving is if you get to heaven, all of your desires will be fulfilled. And you're not going to miss anyone, whether it's a pet or a person, if you get there and still want them, they'll be there for you. But there's really a very clear teaching that most people don't realize. And it's not really so much about who gets to go as it is about what heaven is like in the first place. Heaven is not sitting around on a relaxing. It's not about us. It's, it's not about us. <laughs> and it's not about sitting around having a nice backyard barbecue. I mean, that, that's, that's not what, what heaven is. Yeah. Heaven is worshiping God. And I want to read a passage here, if I may. Uh, this is in the book of Revelation, and it tells us uh, exactly what heaven is like and what we will be doing once we get there, right? So this is Revelation chapter 5 starting in verse 11. And this tells about Christians in heaven and what we're going to be doing. And so again, this is John describing what he sees in heaven. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, 
the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Now, that's heaven. Yeah. Now, heaven is not sitting around doing nothing. Heaven is worshiping the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. As it just said, all that are in the sea, all that are in the earth, uncountable numbers of people, what are they doing? They're worshiping God. They're worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, is the song they sing. Blessed and honor and glory and power to be to him. And so all the focus in heaven is on the Lord Jesus, all in, in his infinite glory. And so the, the cheesy little way I like to explain this is this. If you're in the dark at night and somebody lights a candle or maybe they open a, start a flashlight and it's dark, it's really dark, and they, and they shine this flashlight in your eye. Well, oh, well that, that light's so bright, man, t- turn that off. It's, it's, it hurts, it, it's so much. But if you take that same flashlight and you go out into the noonday sun, then what do you need a flashlight for? Yeah. Like, you can turn it on, you won't even tell it's running. I mean, what do you, you have to hold your hand around it just to, just to even see if it's on. Because the noonday sun is so overwhelmingly bright why do you need a flashlight for? Mm-hmm. And so that's the real answer, is that wh- why are you interested in your pets or your spouse or your mother, father, son, when you've got the Lord Jesus there that's so overwhelmingly beautiful, that is so transcendent, he is so infinitely uh, more fascinating and infinitely more worthy, and all our attention is going to be on him. God is beautiful. And he's majestic, and he's infinite. And so he is infinitely beautiful and infinitely majestic. And we will never tire of looking at him. We will never tire of being around him. All our focus is going to be on him because he's the one that is so so beautiful. Think of the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, a song or a painting, and then, but that's finite. And you get tired of it eventually. But imagine something that is infinitely beautiful, that you never tire of experiencing, that encounters all of your senses. That's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's heaven. And that's why people that don't put their faith in Christ, they don't want to be around Jesus. They don't want to be around Christian things. And so they're not going to be there. Right. The focus is going to be on worshiping the Lord Jesus, and he's the one that's going to be so overwhelmingly beautiful that we won't be able to take our eyes off of them. That'll be heaven. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. Yes. Yes. Wonderful, fantastic thing. Yeah. So that's all of our questions today. And we trust that uh, the Lord God will answer all of your questions and solve all your problems. But we'll be back here next time, Reasoning Through the Bible. Thank you for watching and listening, and may God bless you.